Hello and welcome back to another episode of Brother Love in the District. Tristan here along with Jacob and Jacob, you want to go ahead and tell them what we're going to get into? Yeah, so this week is a jam-packed week, so we're going to be talking about the Commanders. They're playing tonight and we're going to be going over the um, the Titans game. We're also going to be talking about the Eagles. Um, also, there's some big news that just came out about Dan Snyder, so we're going to be talking about that going into baseball. Um the wild card matchups are over, and it's safe to say my predictions were pretty bad. And so I'm going to be talking about that as well as this round, current round that is underway and finally into hockey. Um, the regular season is upon us, so I'm going to be going over the Caps opening night matchup that happened last night. So let's get right into it. Yeah, so first off, I'll let you start off with your whole, do you want to start off with the Dan Snyder incident or wait? I'm going to end it off because it has some serious implications. Okay, so... First, then, we'll start off with we'll start with the Washington game. You guys fall to Tennessee. I believe the score was 20 to 14? 21-17. 21-17. Uh, so, you guys fall to Tennessee. And honestly, I don't think you guys played. From what I saw, I didn't get to see much. But from what I saw, I don't think you guys played a terrible game. Wentz had 350 yards. And that, that interception at the end, I think, was the real backbreaker, obviously, since, you know, that ends the yeah, game. Yeah, that wasn't great. I think I'll explain later. Like, I think he was just trying to force the ball there. But overall, I don't think you guys played terribly. You had a shot in the game. So that's all you can really hope for. Yeah, our defense played better. Um, Titans aren't, they really aren't a high volatile offense. They kind of grind you down with Derrick Henry, which is what they did. And they had some big plays against us. But our defense did improve slightly. Montez Sweat actually had a decent game. But. Going into our offense, Wentz, I think, actually had a pretty good game up until that last drive. Um, Brian Robinson returned from his injury, and he only had nine carries for 22 yards, which isn't great, but it's his first NFL game, so I really don't expect much and, from him. And another note on that, he also got a bulk of the carries. You guys ran the ball 17 times, and he ran nine. Yeah. So they're trusting him, which is huge. Yeah. Um, and we just haven't been able to get that foothold due to our offensive line having a lot of questions, which, I mean, didn't really get answered because they played bad as well. Andrew Norwell has been playing awful. Same thing with Trey Turner, the two guys who were supposed to help solidify our line. Those were the two big signings, and they they have not been good by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Deami Brown actually had an amazing game. Two receptions, 105 yards, two touchdowns. McLaurin had a decent game, five receptions, 76. Curtis Samuel, six receptions for 62 yards. So we were able to move the ball, but our red zone offense, I think it was hind our, our offense was hindered by the fact we couldn't get the run game going. Part of that, I think, is due to the inexperience of Brian Robinson and the fact our offensive line is I would, obviously I was not say, good. I'd, I'd count it more on the offensive line being bad as opposed to the – inexperience of Brian Robinson. I mean, obviously, yes, there, there are things that you have to do as a running back, you know, recognizing holes and everything that I think you can grow on, especially as a rookie. But I do think ultimately it comes down to, because with nine carries, the NFL average is around five yards per carry. So obviously you're not going to get that every time. You know, you might get three, but at the same time, for every rush that you get of three yards, you should be able to get a rush of 10 yards. So it evens out at the end. So what 
basically, yes, while there might have been an experience which might have affected Brian Robinson, I don't think... I think the main point of his the lack of rushing was from the offensive line being so... Yeah. Um, Carson Wentz, he actually looked a little better in the pocket. There's a few nice scrambles which help extend plays and stuff like that, but what needs to be talked about is that last drive of the game. One thing... Um, I think Carson Wentz isn't as much to blame for that loss because he had 359 yards, and up until that, up until the uh, two-yard line three-play like stint or whatever you want to call it, he was playing decent. We were moving the ball, but our coaching, I think, hindered us. And um, looking further into that, Ron Rivera challenged uh, Cam Sims' catch that would have been a first down on a third down i believe but i mean just looking at the initial replay that the normal broadcast show you it's quite quite clear that the ball hit the ground and he was bobbling it as that happened so that really hindered us because we didn't have an extra timeout um because the failed challenge which should not have been challenged i know that's something that it's obviously a big risk, big reward, but I think the smarter thing would just be to eat that because it's not like we were struggling to move the ball up until that point. Because um, we're once we have just a few seconds of protection, Wentz was able to chew up their defense, but we lost in on the two yard line. Um, I think this was obviously a failure of Carson Wentz's. Like he made some bad reads, but I think it's as much the coaching fault and Rivera's lack of great time management, which I think he's always kind of struggled with, but we weren't able to run the ball, which is, that's a big hindrance. And we were kind of forcing it to the running back and forcing it to the left side, which wasn't the smart thing to do. In my opinion, if we had that timeout, we would have been able to at least run one run run play, but we didn't look at our tight ends. We didn't look at cam Sims or, Terry McLaurin or any of the one-on-one matchups we had on the right side of the field, we kept trying to force it into the running back. And I don't know if that's how that play is designed, but I think that was bad calling by the offensive coordinator. It's bad time management by Rivera. And it's, it, yeah, it was just a, it was a bad, it was a heartbreaking loss. But what made me more mad is after the fact, Ron Rivera said, um, the reason why I need to pull up is, the exact. I, I know he said there. Someone asked, "Why do you think the other teams are doing better in the division than you guys?" And he goes, "Quarterback. Those systems are built around their quarterback." Now, the one thing I took away from that because I was actually talking to my dad a couple minutes right before I saw that video, and he was saying that Carson, like Carson Wentz, doesn't fit there and everything. And the one thing that I think, while yes, they. I don't think Carson Wentz is a terrible quarterback. He's not playing terribly for no, Washington. He's one of the best players on our team. Yes, he made a lot of mistakes, but on the current pace, he's on pace for like 4,000 passing yards, 34 touchdowns, and yes, 20 interceptions. But that's what you're going to get with a quarterback like him. I kind of equate him to Brett Favre in a way, like an older Brett Favre where he has a great arm. He's going to make some ridiculous throws that you're like, wow, that was amazing. Not a lot of quarterbacks could do that, but he's going to throw a lot of back-breaking interceptions like, and some make some reads where you're like, what on earth was he doing? Me or you could probably have made a better read, but 
that's what you're going to get from Carson Wentz. And what Ron Rivera said, I just don't really agree with no. because I don't think it's entirely the quarterback. I don't think that he was entirely saying it's Carson Wentz's fault. What I think was, what I interpreted as was if you look at the other three teams in the division, you got the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Giants, the all three of those teams have had their quarterbacks for multiple years now. Carson Wentz is a first-year quarterback in Washington. So how I interpreted it was the Eagles, Howie Roseman has done everything to build a RPO college quick get the ball out of Jalen Hurts type hands type offense around Jalen Hurts to make him succeed. They did everything for Dak Prescott where, you know, they gave him all the weapons he needed. You had Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, a great offensive line, a first-round pick in Zeke Elliott behind him. He had all the weapons around him to make him look good. You look at the Giants. They have done everything they can to get the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands as quickly as possible and have him touch the ball as little as possible to help them succeed. So you're looking at three teams that are doing very well this season, the Eagles 5-0, and both the Cowboys and the Giants at 4-1. and Washington is the only team that hasn't had their quarterback for multiple years. So they can't they couldn't build around Carson Wentz. So yes, at first glance right off the bat, that sounds terrible, you know, it's quarterback like that's why they're succeeding. But I don't think it's a knock on Carson Wentz as much of it's a sign that they haven't had the time that Philly, Dallas and the Giants have had to build around their quarterback. That, I understand. That's how I interpret it. I understand that point, but Cooper Rush, it's his first year with the team. Cooper I Rush mean, hasn't done... Cooper Rush, he is serviceable, but he didn't win that game against the Rams. The, but they're the, still winning, Tristan. And but I the, think. It's their defense. You know what Cooper Rush did against it's the Rams? It's their defense. It's the running. It's so, the coaching. They're but, able to run a competitive system. They're able to evaluate players and look at the guys they brought in and we, we thought that this offense, if we looked at it from last year to this year, was a huge downgrade. We thought that they were the only team that, in theory, on paper, downgraded, correct? I said Dallas, yes. I yeah, I said Dallas as well, but their offensive line is still able to perform. This. And that's the difference. You look at If you look at the Cowboys' offensive line compared to the Washington offensive line, injuries are playing a huge part. Dallas, yes, they had some faults on in on injuries, and you know, uh, there who's the one? There, Tyron Smith, he's out for the season. Uh, they lost Lyle Collins, I believe it's Zach Martin. I think he retired. Like, they, yeah, he retired like they, a year or two ago. They lost big pieces of their offensive line, but they did a decent job of filling them in. And while yes, they not, might not be big guys that we know the names of, you know, people who, if you look at other teams, who, I think of a. Uh, He's not in the league anymore. He retired, but I knew who Alex Mack was every season because he was a star center. You know who Andrew Whitworth is, and you know like these big, big name linemen. While yes, Dallas didn't bring them in, but they brought in enough to kind of to help them push forward. And Cooper Rush is not winning these games for the Cowboys. He's just filling in. They didn't build the offense around him at all. Yeah. But it's the type of system where you build around a quarterback. And the backup benefits from it. Look at the uh, look at the Eagles Super Bowl team. The team wasn't built around Nick Foles. It was just a good offense that they built around Carson Wentz that Nick Foles benefited from. And I think that's what's happening with Cooper Rush. So I just think that 
yes, well, like you said, Dallas was the only team that we looked at and we said looked like they regressed. But with that being said, you, they also have chemistry still. Michael Gallup's still their number one. So when Dak and Michael Gallup come back, they're going to be able to connect. They still have C.D. Lamb. Carson Wentz is coming into a whole new system. And I, I think there are some growing pains. And while, yes, they look like terrible growing pains at the moment, I'm, I'm not quite sold on the fact that you guys are terrible yet. I do think what Ron Rivera said in the fact that they, you know, the other teams in this division built around the team, I think that means, you know, it's more of a longevity thing. So one thing that I would actually look at more is what you guys are going to do in the offseason quarterback-wise, looking for a more long-term piece. Is I'm looking for a new coach in the offseason because when we look at it, what I meant by that is I think it's down to the coaching. If you look at this, in three years, he's only three games better than the Panthers coach who just got fired. Only three games in terms of his record. Only three games better. The defense has gotten progressively worse. The personnel that he brought in, William Jackson is a man-to-man corner, but for some reason we brought him in knowing we played a zone system, and now he wants out, and I cannot blame him. For me, it's the lack. Like, I don't think the coaching is up to par. I really don't think that. Because if we look at it in the talent, like, evaluation, we don't know who we are as a team. We don't know what we need, and... We don't know what is going on a lot of the times, and I think that's down to Ron Rivera. It's his third year. We can't keep saying it's growing pains. He's had over a oh, no, thousand. I agree. I agree. He's had over a thousand nights as the head coach of this team, and for him just to throw Carson Wentz under the bus when a lot of the times he's he's one of the few players who's playing great despite not a bad offensive line. He's like. Jahan Dotson is, um, he, uh, he's like still top five in receptions. Curtis Samuel is in some games has looked better than Debo Samuel this year. Terry McLaurin, while he hasn't gotten a lot of receptions, the one he gets are for, for a lot of yards. So, and we let Eric Flowers go, Brandon Sheriff left, and we brought in these guys that are significantly worse. So for me, it's on Ron Rivera and. We can see Jonathan Allen's pissed. He's not happy, and I think, like, the downfall of this football team is down to him. It's down to ownership. It's down to the fact that we still don't have a proper GM. Ron Rivera should not have roster control because we've seen it's made our teams get a lot worse. He succeeded with Jay Gruden's team. And say what you want about Jay Gruden, but his offenses were always able to move the ball down the field even when he didn't have the best personnel and the defense was horrible, even when Chris Thompson was our entire offense for a few weeks, we were looking like a pretty good football team, but we weren't able to ever bring in a solid defensive coordinator and we didn't know our identity. And I think that's carried over. Um, I don't want to see Ron Rivera at this team next year. I don't want to see any of the coaching staff back next year. We are our new coach needs to be a more young offensive guy versus this established defensive guy like Rivera and Jack Del Rio are, which I think it, the game's kind of pass them in terms of that because they obviously they brought in William Jackson when he's a man corner, but we're trying to play zone. We didn't bring in any extra linebackers in three years, and a lot of cases it's gotten worse. 
I've... So, yeah, for me, it's down to the coaching. That's why we're one of the worst teams so, in the league. Just to finish that off, I have two questions for you, kind of leading from that. One is, uh, I guess it's really only one question. Is this a tank, burn everything, and try again next, like, go for the rebuild season? I mean, it seems like we're doing that, like, accidentally, even yeah, though we're trying to win it. it. Um, I would like the number one overall pick. I think at this point we should maybe try and go for it. Um, I would actually, like, depending on who the coach is, I think keeping Carson Wentz could be a good move because – Wentz the la- before Carson Wentz came, it's hard for me to think of a quarterback in the first four or five weeks had multiple 300-yard games. I personally cannot think of one. Yes, maybe Kirk Cousins, but he was never the you touchdown mean, machine. in Washington? Yeah, in Washington, okay. that is. Because I was um, going to say, Justin Herbert did that quite a bit, Josh Allen. Well, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just thinking about, like, yeah. in terms of Washington, depending on the coach, if we rework our offensive line to the point where it was last year our offense can be great and our defense just it needs to kind of do what it did against um tennessee kind of keep them to that range and we should be able to outscore them but i think proper coaching can change a lot look with the saints they have struggled significantly without sean payton i think that's kind of evident because they aren't up to the standards so far so, yeah, I would like to see a, a complete rework of the coaching staff. We need a proper GM. Maybe a, maybe a younger – I mean, you see the youth movement in the coaching. Nick yeah, Sirianni, that's what – we don't need another Sean old McVay. established yeah. defense guy or crap like that. I mean, we had Shanahan and McVay on the coaching staff at the same time, and they and they left. Kyle Shanahan, he's another winning coach. Uh, so, yeah, that – that would be interesting. I do think you guys are on a downward spiral and might as well just buy into it now, especially since if you think about it, they can start rebuilding around Carson Wentz. Because I don't yeah. think he's a bad quarterback, and like you no. said, I think he's playing well this season. It's just, but uh, there's, I I got a good point pointed out to me that uh, Carson, it's, the coach isn't going to come out and say, oh, it's my fault. He's going to blame... Then he's going to blame... Yeah. He's going to go for scapegoats. Exactly. So, yes, it... Um, he... So, yes, he's going to say quarterback, but I, I would agree with you that it's more coaching. Um, Moving over to the Eagles game. Eagles stay undefeated, 5-0, and and this might have been the scariest game yet. Uh, so, they go out to Arizona. They have never won... They haven't won in Arizona since 2001. The, uh, but they go out and they defeated the Cardinals twenty to seventeen, and they started out hot going up fourteen nothing, and they kind of did the reverse. They did the reverse of what they did against the Jags. So, they they went out fourteen nothing, and the Cardinals then found their way. The defense just kind of started to struggle. I think there was a lot of old John Gannon, vanilla defense in there where you know just kind of sit back and let them pick you apart. But Kyler Murray. He is an NFL quarterback, and the thing that's dangerous about Kyler Murray, I think they only sacked him one time. I will double-check on that, but I believe they only sacked him one time. And the thing that's dangerous about him is he's got the legs and the arms. So if you... Yeah, if You he, got one sack. Okay, yeah. So, uh, which was Hassan Reddick. Uh, so if you sit back and let him 
pass the ball, he's going to pass the ball on you. But at the same time, you can't... I think one thing that was a big factor was they were playing a lot of this zone coverage where you can let teams sit back. It was something that really confused Carson Wentz, you saw, and then started to work against Trevor Lawrence. It worked against Trevor Lawrence quite well, too, but once that gets on tape, team starts to see it. And I think another big issue that really made the Eagles defense struggle against the Cardinals was the fact that you're playing Kyler Murray. You can't rush Kyler Murray like you can Carson Wentz and Trevor Lawrence because they don't have the mobility that Kyler Murray does. So your edges have to come out and they have to contain and keep him there. So it makes it harder for the edge rushers to be playing a quarterback like Kyler Murray, like Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. Luckily, it's easier if you have like a linebacker to spy him. Yeah, a but... spy. But even even yeah. then, like it's so you're trying to think of getting sacks. That's obviously the goal of a defensive line. So what they were doing was, you know, against Washington, against the Jaguars, they were able to rush who they could and then let everyone else drop back in coverage because they didn't have to worry about the mobility. With Kyler Murray, they can't just rush. They have to contain and they have to worry about him escaping. So it's. I think that played a big part in the comeback from the Cardinals. And, I mean, you saw Kyler Murray just kind of dot him up and do what he wanted to against him. So, uh, ultimately, it was a scary game. The Eagles' offense got shut down. They ran a, they ran a lot of screens and a lot of, a lot of QB sneaks. Now, I think the thing that happened there was with the screens, I think the Cardinals were trying to play that blitz game like the Lions did in Week 1. And you saw a couple of the screens work, and I think as the game went on, they figured out, hey, you know, if we send them send them a blitz and then just put a couple more people over to one side, we should be able to lock it down. And I think that's what happened because the offense struggled quite a bit after the uh, after that first quarter. So after that se- second touchdown drive, really. So the uh, I wouldn't really say it was a stellar game for ev- anyone. I mean. Uh, Jalen Hurts had a decent game, not great. He had a decent game. Then, and something that I don't like about just looking at the box score is Jalen Hurts had two rushing touchdowns, but those are two touchdowns on the goal line. Like it looks yeah. like he had a better game than he did rushing. Uh, they also went away from the run too quickly, in my opinion. Uh, but the Cardinals have an underrated defense. They they played really well defensively. Their defensive line got after it. Uh, gave Jalen Hurts some trouble. Couple good blitzes. Uh, other than that, I mean, I, I just wanted to mention, like, so the reason they won the game was the go-ahead field goal from Dicker the kicker. Gotta love Cameron Dicker. But uh, did you see the end of the game where Kyler Murray, it was third down. Yes, it was third down, and he ran he ran the ball, and he slid right before the first down, which... I saw that. Yeah, you... You can't spike the ball at that point because now it's fourth down. So that made them have to call their timeout and go out and kick their field goal a little too Which early. they missed. Yeah, which then Matt Amendola. This was battle of the backup kickers. And Matt Amendola went out and just shanked that thing wide right. It was back. bad. You could um, you could have thought that there was a god up there just sitting there going. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, I mean, he shanked that thing way right. And I, that was the, uh, that was the biggest... That was the biggest change in the game, obviously. That was the reason they won, because you're at least taking them to overtime if you make that. And yeah, I so I think that was the biggest change. They're gonna they're gonna talk about that in the film room this week with Kyler Murray. You know, 
that's going to be a big thing in the NFL now is, hey, make sure you know where you're sliding because you get Dak the ball did is it in the playoffs. The ball is down. Well, so the issue with Dak was he slid when they didn't have a timeout. He, yeah. Well, he didn't slide soon enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the issue with Kyler Murray was he slid before the first down. He, yeah, he, he should have dove. Soon. He should have dove in all actuality. But you, the ball is down where you start the slide. So he started the slide about two yards prior to the first down. So they had to kick their field goal, and that ended the game. Uh, and then he also he also made a really poor decision early in the game. So in cover one, that's mostly a man coverage. You know, everyone's yeah. playing man on man, and you have and then one, there's one safety yeah, one that kind safety. of roams over the middle. Roams in the middle. The did you see the so the interception that Kyler Murray threw at the beginning of the game should not have been picked off. When you are in cover one, you never, never throw a post route because you have your hovering safety in the middle of the field. He didn't you throw like that. you throw like slants and stuff you, like that against. Well, you man. can you can throw slants or if you're trying to go deep, you go outside. You run two you run yeah. two uh two streaks and whichever side the safety shades to, you throw it to the other side. You're so, looking for the one on one. Exactly. So they, he shouldn't have thrown that. Now, they're, that's another thing that they're going to look at in the film room, but usually a quarterback will not get away with that. When you're Kyler Murray, you're going to get away with that, but that's something where, you know, you think about over the offseason, there was that big talk in his contract with him playing too many video games oh, in Call of Duty. That's something that I wonder if they're going to be Yeah, where it's like there was a requirement for watching film and stuff yeah. like that, but I think, I think two things. I think... One of the most underrated quarterback traits is IQ and like game awareness because we saw this with yeah, both that plays huge. with both Dak and Kyler. Dak didn't know when to slide. Knowing when exactly to slide is important. Knowing not to do it too late or not knowing to do it too soon. So I think that's very underrated. And the second thing, I think this is actually a bright game for the Eagles. What I mean by this is you I didn't agree. you didn't play good at all, but yet you still won. And I think. I think that's, this is like that's what separates the good from the bad teams. On your bad days, you're still able to find a way to win. I also think, uh, I think this is more of like a come down to earth game. If you remember when yeah. the Eagles, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl that season, they were riding high. They won eleven straight, and then they played the Seahawks in Seattle and they lost. And it's that was, the eye opener. Yeah, it was like I think that was like the third game before the end of the season, and that was like, hey, you know. You're not unbeatable. People can still win, so you know you need to play football and win some games. Because when you win games, things slide by, things go by the wayside. When you're uh, yeah. looking in film and everything, you know it's like you go complacent. Oh, you that, and when you're looking in the film, I mean, you make a bad pass and you're like, oh look, like yes, this was a bad pass, but don't worry about it. We still won the game. When you lose, there's a lot more emphasis on it. So I'm hoping they treat this. The coaching staff treats this not as a loss, but kind of you know. Like, hey, this was really close, and we really need to go in the film room. I also think there might have been a little bit of play with the, uh, you know, the time zone change and all that. So that could have been played in hand, but ultimately they got the they got the win after struggling. So that's the big that's the big takeaway is they won in a close game that they probably shouldn't have won. And like you said, that separates the good teams from the great teams. So. Yeah. It is important that they won that game and that it was a close game, but. Ultimately, that's one that they have to take and kind of learn from and use that to get ready for the next week, especially since this upcoming week is Dallas week. This is this is one that they're going to be studying hard for because, I mean, Dallas week is one of those weeks that you go straight into. Like, as soon as that Sunday night game ends, that Monday comes the next week, you're like, all right, we are locked in now for Dallas week because 
I mean, Dallas is playing solid. Uh, talk about that one real quick, and then we'll go into the Washington game. So Dallas goes to Philly for Sunday night football, which, in my opinion, I like that it's a primetime game, but, dude, they got to put the Bills-Chiefs game in a primetime game. Like, they, they can't be doing the 530. They should have made game. that Monday night, not the Chargers-Broncos game. But uh, my biggest – the biggest thing is that it's – I mean, Dallas has shown that they have a decent defense. Uh, Micah Parsons, he's an issue. I think that's easy to see. I mean, he as a linebacker, he is one of their best pass rushers. And he's it's not like he's a it's not like he's an edge rusher like Hassan Reddick, where he's listed as a linebacker but an edge rusher. No, he is a middle linebacker who is just really good at rushing the passer. Uh he was up there in sacks last season as a linebacker, so as a rookie, so He's, he's a problem just in himself. The thing that they need to expose is the secondary. The front seven, I feel, with the Eagles having as solid of a defensive line as they do, they can hold off the front seven enough for Jalen Hurts to maybe get some plays downfield. They need to take advantage. One of the biggest matchups that I'm looking for here that you need to expose is A.J. Brown versus Trayvon Diggs. I mean, that's... Trayvon Diggs is used to play wide out. He used to play safety. He's a playmaker. He bites on every little move. So if you give A.J. Brown a couple double moves, maybe a slant and, slant and go or a stop and go, he's going to be open quite a bit. I don't think Trayvon Diggs, he's not, I've said it multiple times on here, he is not all that he's hyped up to be. Okay, He's a decent corner, but he will give up yards and then get an interception. And interceptions are a glorified stat. They don't show how many yards you've given up. So you have to you have to take advantage of the Trayvon digs, use double moves, and take advantage of the fact that he is a playmaking wide receiver. And then on defense, I mean this you have an advantage on defense. That's really all it comes down to. There you have Cooper Rush at quarterback, presumably. It's very it's highly likely that Dak Prescott will not, not be playing in this game. Uh so it looks like Cooper Rush is starting. It's not official yet but it's about 90 percent cooper rush uh you know that they're gonna run the ball so that yeah, should they're gonna be run the ball but you've seen the strengths in your defense with now you might not be getting any pressure in the pass uh in the pass rush like from your middle guys but this is where jordan davis is gonna strive you know a yeah. six eight 300 pound guy just sitting there in the gap saying what's up like you gotta you gotta be you gotta take advantage of that so they have to shut down the run, and if they do a decent job of shutting down the run, they should have an easy game with the offense. I mean, Cooper Rush, he's you've seen in all the games he's played. He gets shut down in the middle of the game. So if you can take advantage of that and produce offense in the middle of the game where he's not doing anything, then you're, you're golden. So I do like the matchup. I think the Eagles should win this. I think they outmatch Dallas all over the field. I mean, that's... You, the only thing you got is you got their front seven against the be, one of the best front sevens against one of the best offensive lines. That'll be a good matchup. But other than that, you outmatch them all over the field. Wideouts over their DBs, your DBs over their wideouts because they only have CD Lamb right now, who is not a number one wide receiver. They have a backup quarterback. You just got to take advantage of your matchups, and I think that's how they should win this game. And I do uh, like their. their I think this. Here is a game where they're going to showcase their adjustments, especially made from last week. They didn't have a good game, but they still won it. And I think we'll see a 
we'll see a better game plan in terms of the offense. I think you're going to see Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard really utilized a lot, as well as A.J. Brown. Um, and I wouldn't be as quick to abandon the run game. If it's there, you need to keep hitting at it. And there may be a drive or two where it's not working, but it still will be important because yeah. – one thing you want to force the Cowboys offense into doing is trying to play a high-octane offense where they're really trying to outscore you. Because Cooper Rush, I mean, he's actually a decent game manager. He kind of fits the 60s quarterback play style more. What I mean by that is he hands the ball off a lot more, and he just manages the game. He doesn't make a lot of throws, but he's... The ones he makes I mean, can be important. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I mean by that is... He actually has a pretty high completion percentage, but if you're looking at it up and down the field, they have better linebackers than you. But other than that, in terms of your depth and overall, you th- I think you should have a better team. So this should be a game you should win. Yeah. There is one thing, though, is so Avante Maddox has been out the past couple of weeks. That does worry me a little bit because, like I said, CeeDee Lamb, he's a slot receiver. And without Avante Maddox to cover the slot, that would scare me a little bit, but other than that, I mean, they should have my lot of back. Uh, Jake Elliott's still questionable, but Cameron Dicker did just fine last week. Slay played this past week, so Maddox and CeeDee Lamb is the only matchup that I'm quite worried about, but you're starting to see the depth because they are starting to get some injuries, especially on the offensive line. Jason Kelsey went out for a little bit. Cam Jurgens came in. You couldn't tell any difference, so... Uh, you are starting to see the depth play a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a factor going later into the season. So Washington visiting Chicago tonight on Thursday as we're recording. So uh, yeah, this um, it'll be out a little bit after the game starts. But I mean, it's still good to hear about what the preview is. I mean, I think it's going to be an ugly game, and a lot of people really. Like, after last week's horrible matchup, people are really crapping all over this and joking that everybody should be giving a free month of Amazon Prime. I, was, I think that's funny. I was talking to my friend, and he was complaining about... He was saying, I can't believe I have to pay $9 a month to watch a Colts and Broncos snooze fest, <laughs> and then the next week to watch the Commanders go play Those Chicago. He goes, I'm going to do it anyway because it's yeah. football, but I can't believe I'm doing this. Yeah, and... Uh, with Commanders fans, I think we we have a psychological issue because we always get hurt, yet we keep coming back. Why else would we keep leading ourselves into these situations? I think there's something wrong with us, but this is a really weird situation. Um, I'm going to try to explain it. I think we will win it because if we play our best football versus if the Bears play their best football, then we should win because the Bears, they struggle to throw the ball. And their defense isn't all of that. I mean, I think they, they're somewhat similar to how the Titans are built, but not as good. So I think they should win it. But if I'm being real honest, I don't really want them to. What I mean by that is I kind of want the first pick because I'm not entirely sure if we would use it. But depending on the coaching, if we do, we could trade down for like a few firsts or whatever it may be especially if a really hot like prospect comes in. So I kind of want them to lose, and I don't want, like, Rivera's probably going to do this anyway, where Rivera teams, we get hot towards middle end of the year, and I don't want that because I want a top like 10. Like the Lions last season. Uh, 
Yeah, I want a top five pick at the minimum, whether it's for trade value or it's for actually taking a, a young guy. So I think we will win. Do I want us to? No. I think you guys should win. Uh, yeah. Chicago, I think, I've said multiple times, they're my worst team in the NFL. I really don't like Chicago as a team. I don't like Justin Fields. I've never liked Ohio State quarterbacks. Uh, and like I the said, Ohio State. Uh, I can't stand the no, uh, <laughs> but I, I really don't like Ohio State quarterbacks. So I don't like Justin Fields in the NFL. He hasn't really proven himself yet. They haven't given him a good wide receiver core around him. I think a big part of this game will be your defensive line getting after the offensive yeah. line and getting after Justin Fields, making him uncomfortable and making them run the ball more. Uh, so as long as you just, I think you guys can can control this game, in my opinion. Uh, so as long as, you do have to look out for Roquan Smith on defense because he is a tackle machine. But other than that, you guys should win this game handily and control this game. And I think that will give you guys a win. Don't yeah, I. we should win it. I'm um, going back to that Buckeyes quarterbacks thing. I'm trying to think, has there ever been a successful one? Who's the Who's the quarterback who played for the DC Defenders? He he was he he's from ohio state i want to say like chandler Braxton miller no it was uh i want to say it was something jones like c jones I, i'll look it up real quick but uh i want to say he was the last ohio state quarterback to actually do something all right so for each game philly and dallas and washington and chicago give me a key to the game for whichever team you think will win to win or um both both for- games for the Commanders, the key to victory. Ooh. The defensive line. Um, because if we're able to shut down the run game enough, then and we're able to really put Justin Fields in a tough position and kind of force him to pass, then I think we should be able to win. I just, I just got attacked by a stink bug. <laughs> Thing almost uh-huh. flew right into my eye. We were spazzing, but yeah, I think that should be the key to victory because I actually like how our offense, um, how our offense holds up, and I think Carson Wentz has actually taken the, taken this last week actually pretty well. He seemed like he wasn't really um, bothered by it, and hopefully this team kind of rallies. Um, I know that's weird for me to say, even though considering I still do want to top top five pick but um and then going on into the eagles the key to victory for the eagles um jeez it's gonna sound a little boring and kind of obvious Cliche. but jalen hurts cardale That's, jones is the guy i'm thinking about yeah that dude cardale jones he was the quarterback for ohio, uh, ohio state but he's the quarterback for the dc defenders now but i i'm sorry you can can you say what you said again Kind of boring for the Eagles, but I'm going to say um, Jalen Hurts is the key for them. I know it's boring to say, but I really do think I really think that. Uh, all right, so for the Eagles to win, I believe the key of the game would be getting the run game going. Just to actually, no, I'd I'd say the key of the game is the secondary. You know, watching over that secondary and taking advantage of their secondary, the Dallas secondary that is. Uh, so making good passes over their secondary and. Uh, I think that would be the biggest part for the Eagles to win the game. And then for Washington to win, I'd say that defensive line. I mean, you have to get up the field and get 
get after that offensive line and make Justin Fields uncomfortable in the pocket and make him move around. Uh, yep. But you want to talk about uh, Dan Schneider real quick? So I haven't heard any of this, so this is all going to be Dude, nice how have you – this is possibly one of the biggest sports, um, like, stories we've had in, like, a while, possibly this year. I need to pull up the exact quote, but – um, he claims that he has dirt that can pull up the... In- Dan Schneider apparently hired private investigators to look into the other owners like Jerry Jones and Goodell and claims he has enough dirt that if they take him down, he could pull up the entire NFL. So Dan Schneider claims that he has dirt that could take down the entire NFL. Nobody can f- with him. That's the exact quote that I'm seeing on multiple, multiple news sites. And... Um, he claims that the NFL is run like a mafia and that everybody hate each other. But the best part about this is an anonymous NFL owner says, no, we don't all hate each other. We all hate Daniel Snyder. <laughs> so that's the best part about this. But this is a, this is a really kind of scary situation. Cause it, I mean, I hope the NFL calls his bluff and forces him out, but, uh, um, yeah, he claimed the NFL is like a mafia and that, like, the dirt he has, he'll always be protected. And I don't know what on earth he's trying to do, but ah, I, I, he, I think, I think he's just trying to get himself out of trouble. And I don't think it's going to work trying to say, oh, I have dirt on everyone. So yeah, that, that that's will be interesting I, to see. I hope the NFL calls his bluff and we get him the hell out of here. But, I mean, he's the biggest, like, that's the biggest news in sports so far. I'd so say that's kind of good. I'd say of recent memory, Dan Snyder is the most known owner. Like I couldn't tell you, I couldn't tell you like any owners in the NFL except for Jerry Jones and Dan yeah. Snyder. Other than Robert oh, Kraft. and Robert Kraft, but that's because they won a Super Bowl every single year from like 2010 to 2020. Yeah, and he owns he owns Kraft Mac and Cheese and all that so, crap. So I mean, aside from those three, and obviously the Eagles owner. I can't really name many owners. You should not know your team. You should not know other teams' owners. Uh, but with that, let's move over to the NHL, where the NHL season is finally underway. Flyers start tonight, Thursday, and the Caps started last night. So, do you want to go over the game from last night? Um, we played good aside from our defense and power play. Um, our defense was pretty much like solely responsible for a lot of most of the goals it was i don't think it's kemper's fault he actually played somewhat decent considering the bruins a lot of their goals were really high percentage chances and they could have been prevented if our defense wasn't as lackadaisical carlson looked horrible there was one goal where he didn't hustle and that directly led to pretty much one of the defenders getting in, it was basically an empty net because Kemper was on the other side after he just made a stop. So things need to be addressed defensively. That's always been my big issue with this team. And say, like, we don't do good because the defense, it's not the Forb group that maybe we could get a few young fast pieces in there, but it's the defense that I think is going to kill this team. And another thing is our power play was horrible. We were 0 for 4, and that's simply not acceptable. Um, when given four power plays, you have to you have to convert. And considering how bad our de- defense was last night, I think that needs to be addressed. Now, 
it is still it's the first game so nothing to be worried about but that's still something we definitely need to look out for what was the final five to two five to two which also there in the early in the season you're gonna see a a spike in scoring and it'll it'll go down exponentially throughout the season so it's i wouldn't say it's something too big to worry about right now just because you need a couple weeks for everyone defensively to get under their get their feet under them and get everything going so i wouldn't say it's quite something to worry about quite yet but uh it it is something that you need to pay attention to going into the season because obviously that's something that you got to work on uh so the flyers start tonight thursday night against the New Jersey Devils. Now, this is a battle of the, the youngsters. Uh, John Tortorella is letting the young players play. He And what I like that he... Something that I like that he did is he took the players like Cam York that he knew that he thinks are going to be part of the future and sent them down to the AHL to work along and get... He said, he said for Cam York, there are skills that he has not yet unlocked and that's why he sent him back down to the AHL. Which I like that. So, if you guys want, I posted a, a longer video on it. If you guys want to see that, you can go to our TikTok at BL in the DC and watch that. But he said he thinks he has skills that he has yet to unlock, and he's not sending him down as a punishment, but more to help him grow. Now, another player that he left up was Hayden Hodgson. Hodgson. Now, he didn't keep him up because he thought he played well. He kept him up because he hadn't seen enough. Now, John Tortorella is not going into this season under the impression that they're going to be cup contenders. I like, so he said the reason that he kept Hodgson up was because he didn't like what he, or he didn't see enough and he just wants to see what he has left to do. So I really like that. He's kind of taking a different approach to the season and to the coaching. And I'm excited to see what Tortorella does. I Now we've said this a couple, a couple seasons. There is a new standard that needs to be set in Philadelphia. They need to set up a new, a new, culture in philadelphia of winning so that takes time but you're gonna start seeing some young players step up you need to see owen Tippett step up travis konechny needs to get back to his form that he had before the bubble ivan Provorov needs to step back up it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough season and i think this is officially i think they're going officially into a rebuild but i don't excuse me i don't think it's gonna be that long of a rebuild i think this is more of a year to figure out what he wants for next year and how he's going to win. And then next season, I'd say they could fight for a playoff spot. So this season, I'm not looking for a win. I'm not looking for a ton of wins, but the biggest thing I'm looking for is seeing improvement, which is all. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought as well. But my biggest thing with this team is I, who's going to score for 25 goals. Who's I think get the over only, 50? I think the only people who have potential to score over 25 goals would be Travis Konechny and Cam Atkinson, off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, but Cam's old. Um, Konechny has kind of seemed like he's almost stalled so, out. Yeah, so what, what? the interesting thing with Travis Konechny was, so prior to the bubble, he he scored 24, the two seasons, like the bubble season and the season prior, he scored 24 games each. The only difference is 24 goals each. The difference was about... 26 games though so he had 26 less games where he scored uh where he scored 24 goals than prior or he scored the same amount of goals in a shortened season so he grew but then once they made that big pause and they went to the bubble he kind of lost it and 
he started to look decent again last season, but he was also sharing the puck more and getting a few more assists. He was the top he was the leading scorer last season, just over fifty points, but they don't really have many Owen Tippett would be one that I'm really interested to see if he can score north of twenty five. Uh he was I believe the tenth overall pick when he was drafted by Florida and he he's a guy that they brought in to help with the scoring. So I'm really interested to see if he can score north of twenty five or twenty five. So he's going to be interesting. And Joel Farabee would be another one that I'd look out for to see if he can get around 25. Those are probably my four highest goal scorers on the team. Uh, but no captain has been named yet. He wants to see how that's going to work. Now it's going to be interesting being that Sean Couturier, who is probably going to be the captain and the lead. Yeah, I thought he'd be a but maybe he doesn't but he, like now his he's injured. Now he, no, now yeah. he's injured. So, I mean, they... He said he said he didn't want to name a captain too early, which I like. He wants to, you know, see who takes a hold of the locker room. So I think had Couturier been healthy, it wouldn't have taken long for him to be named, but he's not going to rush into naming a captain. So uh, it's really just a growth season. Now, with that being said, am I going to start the season off with unreal expectations and hope to see us win? Absolutely. <laughs> But will it do Oh, no, 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 no. But see, the difference is, all right, so normally, you know, you start out with unreal expectations, expecting your team to win a Super Bowl. Like you with the Commanders, exactly. But, but come, for us, those playoffs, yeah, that's come, unrealistic. Come a couple weeks, come a couple weeks, I'll realize. Reality you know, sets in. Yeah, it'll be like, okay. Oh. And it's it won't be as depressing since I'm aware of the situation. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, am I the coming... The team should be fun to watch defensively, though. I think that's going to be fun I, I to watch honestly, in the same way a car crash is fun to watch. See, I don't think they're going to be too terrible defensively. It's So, I think through the first couple of weeks, like I just said, it takes time for uh, players to get adjusted. There'll be a high scoring, and the John Tortorella said, Ivan Provorov and Tony D'Angelo, they're the first pair. But he said the first game they played, they stunk together. So... I think they need. I need. I think they need some time to work out some chemistry. Because I mean, you need to know who's going to be where. Tony D'Angelo, he's a rush guy. Ivan Provorov needs to learn to hang back more. It's going to be give and take, and it might take a little bit for them to get together. But I think they'll be a solid pair. Rasmus Ristolainen and Travis Sanheim have already proved that they can play together. So they're the second pairing. I'm not too worried about them. The third pairing is Justin Braun and Nick Sealer, which. I think they played for at the start of the season last season. Um, that's going to be an interesting pair. But ultimately, I'm not too worried. I don't think it'll be terrible once the season starts to get the ball rolling. Um, I'll take but your like, word. Like I said, like I said, I think once reality sets in, I'm not going to be as depressed when they start losing a ton of goal, ton of games. But uh, I don't think they're – I feel like they have a lot of young pieces that still could produce quite well. Now, they should they, be producing question. well, but it yes. seems like some of those guys hit like a roadblock after that big stretch in 2019. It seems like they, oh, we're going it's, back now. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, and I'm I'm excited to see how the season goes. Uh, I'm I'm ready for the hockey to be back, and I'm excited. You're that ready to get hurt again. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough season. Uh, it's definitely from. I listen to another podcast where they talk about Flyers, and he gets a lot of tweet ins and. It's a lot of fans saying, you know, this is a this is a season where, you know, it's gonna be hard to look at, but it's a season that needs to be had. So, 
I'm interested yeah, to see what's going to happen. Bar Down actually has you guys as a yeah, possible contender first, for first the number one overall pick. I saw that. So uh, it's going to be an interesting season, to say the least. Uh, is that all you have for the NHL? And I, actually, got. one last thing. Dude, looking at the first like month or two just of the Flyers schedule, it looks daunting. But it's because the Flyers are presumed to be so bad. So, like... Looking at their first, looking at their first month of playing, Ooh. they got the Lightning, they got the Panthers in there, they got the Rangers in there. It looks yeah. You, scary. you even got like the Predators, who are a decent team. The Sharks are in like hockey purgatory. The Canucks should be better. The, you got the Rangers. You got the Blues. You yeah. got the Sens. That Sens game should be fun for Claude Giroux. It's a brutal. It's a brutal, brutal start of the season. So and you got the Blue Jackets. Damn, dude. Yeah, this it's gonna be rough schedule. Uh. One quick thing before we move on to the MLB. I want to take a second to talk about our friends at Bomberger Food Truck. New, It's a semi-new food truck at getting some age now that we've been talking about it. Opened by two kids that are our age uh, in college. Two guys that we went to school with all from elementary school all the way up and graduated with them in high school. So they are a burger food truck primarily they changed their ingredients recently. They're doing it right, you know, getting all the grass-fed beef and all that stuff. So uh, they they do use the best ingredients they can, and they have great burgers. Uh, definitely a food truck I would recommend. They are starting to expand out a little bit more. So they do go to Brosman's Farm Stand quite a bit, but they are expanding out a little bit more from there. So if you guys are interested in, you know, uh, getting catered by them or seeing where they're going just to be able to see what's going on with them and maybe check them out somewhere else they post all their events on their socials at face on facebook and instagram at bomberger food truck so if you want to check out where they're going to go i'd go look at their instagram and it'll let you know so i definitely recommend them uh going into the mlb I'd like to take the time to apologize. Formally um, apologize for disrespecting the Phillies. Not only the to Phillies. the Phillies, but to the Padres. The Padres, and they beat the Mets. And, uh, they guess beat the breaks off of them in game three. Yeah, and uh, guess who hit a first inning home run off of Max Scherzer? The guy said Josh Bell, who wasn't I hot. So. I, so I and don't, they just beat the Dodgers last night. I think... Uh, the series is at one one. It's it's a it's all good. But the uh, I think that the Padres. I think that the Padres just benefited from the Mets being choke artists. I, I like I said from the beginning of the season. I didn't like the Mets. Now they proved me wrong in the regular season, for yeah, the most part. Came, Up until mattered, yeah, once it mattered, they they choked. I mean, the the Braves were. I want to say at one point like ten. They, they were, had a ten and a half game they lead. Back. They were one of the they're one of the only teams in NFL and MLB history to have a ten and a half game lead on the next closest team in the division and choke it out and lose. So they got swept at the end of the season when it mattered to win the division by the Braves. The Braves came in, they won the division, they went in, lost game one against the Padres. Now when you're down one and one oh in a three game series, that is awfully scary. So you're down one oh, you're then fighting back. They win game two and they go to game three and they lose six to nothing. They choke it out again. So I've never liked the Mets. I think the Mets are a struggle bus team once it comes to playoff time. They give out a lot of money for Francisco Lindor and they're going to have to give a lot of money to Pete Alonso, but they definitely are not a team that I like in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen with 
them in the offseason, especially with the ground. But the Phillies beating the Cardinals. That, I look like I, an I'll, idiot. I'll be honest. That even surprised me. So, I mean, because they were struggling to score. In game one, I thought for sure after Yepes hit that go-ahead home run and I think the seventh inning, two-run home run, I thought it was over. Yeah. I, I and was then they, not. And then, then in the ninth inning, they just, bang, we're ready. Yeah, they, they came out in the ninth inning and scored six runs and rallied to win that game. Uh, so that was a that was a good game. I think the biggest takeaway from that series is the pitching. I mean, the pitching held out because they only won the second game two to nothing. Bryce Harper had a home run. They got a sack fly run late in the inning. So they came in when it mattered, and they won the series 2-0, swept them out, and had a little bit of a break before playing the Braves. But going into the Braves, I think they surprised them game one. And then the Braves came back and it, yeah, you almost it's another, blew it. It's another pitching. It's another pitching thing. Like, okay, yeah, they almost blew it. the The game one like when Zach, nothing, Zach, it? Zach, it was seven to one, and then I believe, or no, going into the ninth, it was seven to three, and Matt Olson hit a three run home run in the in the bottom of the ninth, and I was I was scared after watching that, uh, but the pitching again. I mean, they're holding out, and that's what you're looking for. Because, I mean, even last night, they didn't pitch terribly. Zach, the thing that I took away from the game last night, Wednesday night, was Zach Wheeler gave up way too... I don't want to say gave up, but he got tired way too quickly. I mean, he he's a pitcher who should be giving you roughly... He should be giving you seven innings, but at least through six, he only had about 60 pitches and he gave up three runs and they benched him as they should have and that that's just something that you know made me a little nervous he usually owns the Braves and through the first five innings he did but in the sixth he just kind of lost it he lost his magic and that that scared me a little bit and um, game three they have Nola back in Philly it's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be an interesting, be an interesting game. game but I if I have to say it I mean I think the best chance they have of winning is getting a majority of the wins in Philly so, I mean, it's better that they're not down 2-0 going into the Philly. I like that they're 1-1 going into Philly because, I mean, think. Philadelphia hasn't been to the playoffs in 11 years. That place is going to be rowdy. So, you you know Philadelphia as a city with their fans. That's going to be a rowdy place. It's going to be hard for the Braves to play. But uh, I I am a little Should nervous about this game. But in, in this series... If they win this series, I feel more confident with their ability to make it to the World Series with getting out of the, like, playing this series than the next series, whether they have to play the Padres or the Dodgers, if that makes sense. Like, I feel more comfortable with their ability to get the World Series if they make it through this round than than making it past the first round. I don't know if that made sense. That that makes sense. I, I... yeah, I don't like them playing the Braves, and the Braves scare me just because they have owned they've owned the Phillies. So yeah. it's it's not it's not a matchup that I like, especially they have Spencer Strider starting in game 3 and he that, just That should be that that's going to be a tough matchup. He has career days against the, the Phillies. So let's hope he has another one. I disagree. He I'm definitely scared about that much. But you know who he's playing? It's going to be a really good pitching matchup. Aaron Nola. Nola. So Nola versus Schreider in Game Three. That's going to be an interesting pitching matchup. I would say um, I hate the NL right now. All four teams are in it. I really don't want them to win the World Series. I, 
I can't like tell you how much I don't want anyone in the NL to win the World Series because if the Padres win, I'm gonna look like a big idiot because I said, "Oh, they're not gonna get hot." Yada you, yada. You do that usually. I'm, you do that yourself anyway, so it's all good. Well, yeah, it's yeah. The Dodgers, <laughs> I just don't like. LA fans, I think, are kind of annoying, and I don't want to see the Dodgers win. Braves, they already won it. The Phillies, I especially don't want them to win it. So yeah, let's go AL. It's. <laughs> It's a, I mean, at least you have the Yankees to root for in the AL. Yeah, um, they played. They won against the Guardians. They played decent. So. Did you see the Mariners choked it against the the Astros. They were up by. Oh my gosh! I was so mad at the Mariners. They gave up a bottom of the ninth three run home run to Jordan Alvarez. How do you but do that? Jordan is a tank. I, I really, beast, I really, they, I really like Jordan Alvarez. They should have won that game. Come on, Mariners! You got to beat the Astros. Phillies, all right? Phillies, Mariners, World Series. All right, the two drought teams in each each league. I'm okay with the Mariners. Uh, but with that, I mean that's really all I have. The, I'm I'm getting questions about the, uh, I so I tried to record the Phillies game yesterday, but since the, uh, the game got rained out, they, we had trouble recording it. And people are like, dude, you're going to go home and watch a recorded baseball game? I go, it's the playoffs, and the Phillies haven't been in 11 years. I'm like, yes, I'm going to record the game and watch it fully. I go, plus with commercials, I'll be able to fast-forward through it relatively quickly. And, I mean, the game was – I feel like the game was a pretty quick game overall just because through – they went three up, three down through, like, every inning except for maybe three total innings. Like, they were just going – up and down the lineup like nobody's business pitching wise just whiffing yeah it was a pitching battle last night so uh but this is definitely an interesting series tied 1-1 going into philly i like our chances better in philly being tied 1-1 than being down 2-0 so as anyone would but uh i would not be surprised if this goes to a game five i wouldn't either i i think the phillies are putting up a good fight yeah, weirdly. Because even last night when they lost, they still put up a good fight. Aside from those three runs in the sixth inning, I believe, they put up a good fight. Yeah, it's so. only three runs at the end of the day, so. Yeah, I mean, they're... It's fathom- fathomable. So I, I, do, I do like the matchup. It's not terrible. But with that, is that anything anything else for you? So I got... All right, so we're going to end it off there. Uh, if you guys want to follow us on Instagram, uh, TikTok, uh, BL in the DC, on both of those on this side of the screen. So... Uh, go other side, Jacob. <laughs> uh, that side of the screen, it has all of it there. And our email at blnthedc at gmail.com if you want to email us questions, comments, stuff to say on here. Uh, we come out with this at the end of the week every week. It's Friday or Saturday, depending, because uh, we are both college students who have to work. So, you know, time varies. But uh, we are going to end it off there. You can check us, uh, rate us on Spotify and Apple. And with that, that's going to end it off there.